Well, welcome back, everybody. I hope you all had a good uh, Easter, a good week after Easter. This Sunday, believe it or not, in the liturgical year is called Low Sunday. It is not, it was called that long before attendance patterns made it into low attendance Sunday, but this isn't really low, that low attendance. This is really cool. Livens my heart. Uh, but this Easter season, uh, this Easter season, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts usually, it does usually come up in this, uh, this time of the year. And um, if you're not as familiar with the order of the books of the Bible, the book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And it's, the full name is Acts of the Apostles. Acts is actually written by Luke. And so it gets confusing. They sandwich John in there in between volume one and volume two of Luke's gospel. But that's the book of Acts. And uh, it's the story of the early Christian church taking off after Jesus ascended, after the Holy Spirit was poured out, as the Christian church grows in Jerusalem, but then takes off beyond Jerusalem, throughout the Roman Empire, and then eventually beyond that. And uh, it's an amazing story because if you look at how Christianity started, it really could have gone a couple ways. In that first year after Jesus, it could have, it could have gone two directions. One would have been that it would have stayed mostly in Jerusalem among the disciples, the original 12, plus Mary, Mary Magdalene, the others. So the initial, what, I don't know, 20, 30, it would have stayed there, and it would have been another branch of Judaism another sect, another version of Judaism, and it would, they would have kept speaking Aramaic, which was the language of Jesus, and they would have probably been centered in Israel, and when the Romans came in and wiped out a lot of Israel, that probably would have been the end of Christianity as we know it. Or it could have grown beyond Jerusalem and beyond Israel and become a universal religion, a religion of all races and ethnic groups around the world. And it could define itself by something other than blood and ethnicity, but define itself more by practice and belief, which is why we're here today. Uh, but this big change, this big change, it's hard to, under, hard to overstate how big it was. Uh, it allowed the message of Jesus Christ to spread throughout the whole world, but it didn't come easy. Uh, sometimes the movies make it look a little too simple, like people just walked around and said, let me tell you the gospel, and everybody was like, yay. Uh, more often it was, let me tell you the gospel, and they said, where, where can I find a rock? And that actually happened a lot more. And even within the disciples, there was conflict. And within the apostles, there was conflict. Right off the bat, there was huge debates between Peter and this new guy, this Paul guy, who came in from Asia Minor. They did not always get along. Eventually, they had a big split. And so we're going to spend a few weeks here digging into the book of Acts a little bit. I haven't had a chance to, I haven't walked through it for a few years. Uh, it'll be obviously just some select passages for the next few weeks, but we'll talk about how the book of Acts helped Christianity grow beyond a lot of those language culture barriers that would have kept it really small. So these will be some of the themes that we'll be looking at. Crossing barriers, uh, changing practices, adapting practices, 
uh, how to bring diverse people together, and of course, the work of the Holy Spirit. Because it was not good oratory and charisma of the leaders that grew Christianity. It, it was the Holy Spirit that, that worked through them. So, all right, we're going to go back and begin at the beginning of Acts, which, if you're a liturgical purist, should, this verse should be saved for Ascension Sunday. You might hear it again, but I wanted to start at the very beginning of the book, Acts 1. So the scene is set, and the book of Acts begins, Jesus has not quite yet ascended. He's been around for 40 days more after his death. He's got the disciples all around him. He's been with them for a while, and he set, looks down, he sets them down and says, look, my time has come, it's time for me to go, I'm returning to the Father. So, and then they, they look at him, and the first thing they say is, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Three years of being with him, and they're still holding out hope for this rev revolution. They're still holding out hope that they're going to get an actual, literal, physical kingdom with Jesus on the throne, with Judaism as the official religion. And uh, this is what they're hoping for. They're still thinking in terms of religion and ethnicity and state all merged together in one. They haven't quite yet, even after three years, God bless Jesus for having the patience to deal with these disciples and how they didn't get it. They saw him crucified. They still didn't get it. But, you know, as people, I think we have an amazing ability to hold out hope for things that we really want and ignore facts that might dash those hopes and, uh, you know, and what we all tend to want, what religions tend to want on a deeper level and a bigger level is to have the support of the state and the support of the culture and to have the religion support my particular culture and ethnic group's agenda. And that's always how things tend to lean, right? It's a lot easier as a pastor to fill the pews when the culture and the government and the schools and everything everywhere is saying, go to church, go to church, go to church. Now, of course, we live in a culture where all the kids go to school and it's religion is stupid, religion is stupid, religion is stupid, religion is stupid. We have to go, be, we, have to, we have nothing but obstacles and barriers, Right? And it could get easy to be nostalgic for the good old days when people on TV didn't do huge stand-up routines mocking the Bible and get a million likes. But that's our world. But you have to remember, Christianity didn't start as a state religion. It didn't start as a culture religion. It started as a couple handfuls of people in a room. So there they are in front of Jesus, hoping to get that mixture back, hoping to get it back, and Jesus has to look at them. Acts 1, verse 7. Here's his reply. It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So don't get your hopes up about an empire. Instead, the Holy Spirit's going to come and give you a job and the tools 
to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Forget about trying to build lines and walls to protect your faith with the power of the state. Instead, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel. These are Jesus' last words. This is his last sort of last will and testament, his dying wish. Go spread the gospel to the whole world. Don't try to build a Christian kingdom. This last week, this last week, um, you might have noticed, in case you were noticing this, I wasn't in the office much, because I know you're always checking out my office hours, right? I wasn't in the office much, I'll openly confess it. I was down at San Juan Bautista Lutheran Church. Remember that painting thing I kept pushing and pushing for weeks? Um, Here's some pictures of it. I thought I'd share some pictures of it. Uh, I have known the pastor, Mateo Chavez, and his wife, Annette, for several years. Uh, They were big supporters of open space, and we went down with open space and painted lots of their uh, murals and stuff down there. And so I just asked him the other day, uh, is there anything that Lord of Grace can do to help you, anything our outreach committee could do that would make a difference right now? And he said, repaint the fellowship hall. Now, years ago, again, I think I mentioned this, like 2006 or 7 or something, we redid the underlayment on their uh, roof. So I thought, well, this is something I I can paint. I can get people together to paint. Uh, And the building, again, the recap is this building was built in 1953. So this is the 70th anniversary, and they're going to have their celebration on April 30th. They wanted to get it cleaned up for the celebration. I got fact-checked a little bit. I had said it was originally a Swedish-based church. It actually came out of a Norwegian tradition, but none of that mattered because by the 70s, it had switched over to become a Spanish-speaking church, which makes sense at Bilby and Park, right, when you're down there. Uh, And they've had this ministry there for decades. It has not been easy. You know, money tends to be tight. Incomes aren't as high down there. They always have the struggle of trying to find a pastor who speaks Spanish and is willing to work for almost nothing. Uh, And that's never easy. And they've cycled through a bunch. But Pastor Mateo Chavez has been there full-time or as the pastor, ordained pastor, since 2018. So they've had, a little bit of, they've had a little bit of stability. So I asked him what he needed. He said, repaint the fellowship hall. Now, imagine 70 years of a room with people you know, pushing wall, tables against the walls and uh, parties. They host lots of quinceaneras there. Uh, so there were tacks. I filled buckets full of picking tacks out of the wall. Uh, somebody had glue gunned their balloon above the air conditioning unit, and I had to scrape off a hunk of, like, they actually had glue gunned, like this giant thing, and I was scraping it off. I spent all, like, six hours Monday spackling and taping. Finally, they came in and were like, Lars, be done. Stop spackling. I'm like, no, no, I must keep patching. But I got it done, and then and then a bunch of wonderful volunteers came down on Wednesday, Thursday. We repainted it, primed it, repainted, so now they have a shiny, new-looking wall in their room for their banquet for their 70th anniversary celebration. And um, so, uh, this, and this is, and so it's been kind of cool. It's a fun partnership. Uh, interesting story about San Juan. That lately, they had an you know, uh, interesting thing happen to them. Uh, As you may know, most of the immigrants who are coming to the U.S. now are not Mexican. 
I mean, there's still a percentage of it, but like when I moved to Tucson in 2004, it was young men crossing the border to look for work. Uh, now, most of the immigrants are families, and they, they, they don't even try to sneak around at the border. They just walk right up to the port and surrender. And they're not coming as much from Mexico. They're coming from uh, Cuba, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Venezuela, Haiti. They're coming from other countries, and they're coming primarily because they're either fleeing a repressive regime, right, like Cuba or Venezuela, or they're fleeing gang violence, like El Salvador and Guatemala. And they're largely families, lots of kids. So here's San Juan, here's this church on the south side, and one day, uh, six women and three babies show up from one family, show up at the door, and they said, look, we just got admitted uh, for an uh, asylum case. They had presented themselves. They had walked all the way from Colombia, literally walked from Colombia. You think you hiked a lot going up Pontotoc Trail. They hiked the entire distance from the jungles of Colombia. And there's a chunk in, I think it's Costa Rica, where it's National Park. So you literally have to just bushwhack your way through jungles. So here they are, carrying babies, all, get all the way up, and they made their case. And the US government said, OK, we see a legitimate case for asylum. Uh, you can stay in the US until your court case comes up in Houston. Houston? So. Uh, they have a problem. But what do you do in the meanwhile? Because actually, you're not allowed to work. That's a little loophole of the law. You're not allowed to get a job while you wait for an asylum case. So they can't work to make money. What did they do? They saw little San Juan and knocked on the door. And there's the pastor standing there looking at six women and three babies, uh, penniless. And it happens that San Juan has an old parsonage uh, old pastor's house attached to the church, which was a common thing back in the day. Uh, this one, it's so old school, you can walk from like the sacristies back there, you can go from the sacristy directly into the pastor's house. So I guess if the pastor wanted to finish the service and not shake hands, he could just slink out the back. And at the time, nobody was renting it. Normally, they rent it for rental income. At the time, nobody was there, so they agreed, all right, what did Jesus say we are to do? We are, you know, I was homeless, and you gave me a place to stay. So they let them stay there. Well, what does this mean for San Juan? It means instead of making rental income, now they're making no rental income, but the utility cost just went boom, right through the roof. Right? Electricity up, his water is up, and they're gaining no income. So they had to put out a plea for the local churches, could you guys help us out with this? And a lot of them have, uh, with supplies, diapers, cash. Uh, in the meantime, the family walked over to worship. I think they actually went outside, though. Walked over to worship. Babies got baptized. They're getting Bible instruction now at the church. And they explained the reason why they left was because in their village in Colombia, if you know the history of Colombia, when I was a kid, Colombia was cartels, right? Pablo Escobar. And then it turned into this rebel group called the FARC. They were a communist rebel group. And a deal was signed, I don't remember how many years ago, kind of a ceasefire deal between the government and these rebels. And for the most part, that stopped the Civil War and things quieted down. Colombia got better. 
but there was a splinter group that felt that the FARC had sold out and that they needed to keep the revolution going. And these women lived in that village and these, this little communist splinter group came in, took over the village, and were extorting people for money and all sorts of unsavory things. And basically they had terrorist thugs take over their village. That, and they're like, there's no, we can't do business or do anything here, we have to get out. And that's why they left, to avoid these communist rebels. And uh, so here we have this scenario, which is, what I would say is kind of the church at its best, right? This is the image of Christianity I wish everybody saw, not people at the library screaming at trans kids, but the image of here are refugees coming in and the church takes them in. And, uh, uh, you know, and it also occurred to me as I think about this story that, you know, this is, this is where the future of America is headed, you know? We don't need to send missionaries to around the world. The world's coming right here. And most of the people who are coming are not Lutheran. And we have this huge opportunity, this huge opportunity to reach people with the gospel, to reach out with the holy power of the Holy Spirit, to be an example of God's love, and to focus on things and to think of ourselves as focusing more on practices of faith and telling the story. But it means, of course, that you have to start rethinking some of the cultural things that can go, well, maybe, how necessary is that really? The joke with my Midwestern colleagues is always, are you willing to have a tamale dinner instead of a lutefisk dinner? My answer to that is, any day. <laughs> there are some cultural practices that I am perfectly, I will wash my hands of and kick the dust off my feet. But it's things like this. You know, what makes us Lutheran? It shouldn't be those things. It should be the, the practices we have, the belief, our great theology. But there's a distinction that has to be made, and there's a lot of self-reflection that goes into that. What do we have to keep? What do we don't? How do I reach out? What are the good ways? How do we get bridge these cultural gaps? And the learning curve in the early church was not easy. They had this exact same problem. And initially, most of the disciples resisted turning Christianity into a universal religion. They resisted the attempts. Some of the initial rules were that if you were to convert to Christianity, they wanted you to go through the Jewish rite of conversion. Adopt all, follow all the laws, get circumcised. I think that's what really drove the issue, was the, uh, was the you know, people were like, okay, I can give up pork, but dude, you really want me to do that? And so that became a huge issue. Peter and Paul, remember I told you they were fighting, that's what they fought about. And uh, Peter initially insisted, yes, they must do that, you must become Jewish to become Christian, and Paul said, no, the gospel's not about following the purity laws, and Peter and Paul got into a fight, a really bad fight, and finally they split and said, you know what, fine. Peter said, I'll go to Jerusalem, you take care of the Greeks and Romans. Peter probably thought nothing would happen of it, Paul would get, Paul would disappear, it didn't work out that way. But eventually, eventually the, even the disciples' attitudes would change. For example, Mark would end up going to Egypt and starting the Egyptian Coptic church, which is still there. Philip would go to Ethiopia 
and start the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which is also still there. Doubting Thomas, Mr. I need to see the nails, he got on a boat and went to India, started the Martoma Church. It's also still there. They went to the nations. They gave up their hang-ups about their religion being about one particular ethnicity and nation and building a nation, and eventually they embraced the vision of this gospel as something that can change lives no matter where, who you are where you came from. And as legend would have it, they all died doing that. So it can be done. It's not without work. It's not without reflection. It's not without sometimes giving up things. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us an amazing power to get past things that we think are insurmountable and give us the power to do things that we think can't be done. Because God's love is that powerful that it can bridge any gap. Amen.